Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 96. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hey guys, today my guest is a creative arts therapist, which I think you are going to find very interesting. I know I did. I have a certificate in using expressive arts to help people who've experienced trauma. And ever since I started that training process, I have been fascinated about learning more about the different types of expressive arts therapies that are available. I learned how to do a few different techniques, but certainly nothing like the intensive training that my guest has in her chosen type of expressive arts. Today's guest is Maya Benatar, who is a music therapist in New York City. And I think you're going to find this interview very interesting as she talks about how she uses music therapy in her work and who she works with, how it works, why it works, what it feels like. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you will too. So let's go ahead and get started. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I have a very interesting guest. Maya Benatar is here. Maya, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, I'm really happy to talk to you because the thing that captured my interest the most in your work is that you are a creative arts psychotherapist and you do music therapy. So I'd love for you to tell our audience about yourself and your work. Absolutely. So I am a music therapist and a psychotherapist and I'm based in New York City and for those of you who aren't familiar with music therapy, music therapy is a health field that uses music in goal-oriented creative experiences to address a wide range of needs. So that can look like addressing social goals, emotional goals, physical, cognitive. And I really love what I do because it, it's so powerful to help people make changes in their lives through the power of music. Mm. So can you just explain kind of what, how a music therapist works with clients? Absolutely. So that I can. And that being said, <laughs> um, every music therapy session is different. And music therapists work, as we sometimes say, from cradle to grave. Or even before, There's a lot of, there are a lot of music therapists who do uh, prenatal work. And I've done some of that myself, working with moms who are who are pregnant, music therapists who do childbirth work, all that kind of stuff, all the oh. way through NIC, NICU, early childhood education, mental health, whole many different populations, all the way to hospice and end of life care and everything in between. So, you know, as you might imagine, a session with a baby who's born prematurely is going to look very different from a session with someone who has dementia, from a session 
from, you know, a woman who is in her 30s and dealing with anxiety. They all look quite different. The goals are different. The needs are different. Um, right now in my practice, I focus primarily on working with women who are dealing with stress and overwhelm and often come in because of anxiety. Something is just at the point where it's not working well anymore. So the, the way that I work is a very client-centered approach. So it is about getting to know the client, building rapport, and figuring out what they need. And with the women that I work with, it's a very collaborative process because most of the time they're very intelligent, articulate women, and they're really, they're, they're able to engage in that back and forth like you would in talk therapy about like, hey, this is working, hey, this isn't, hey, this is what I need, as opposed to, and I've done some of this work, um, you know, a, a younger child, let's say on the autism spectrum, who has no speech, they're not able to tell you in words what they need. They'll tell you in other ways, right? Behavior, communication. But a session with a child um, who's nonverbal might involve a lot of playing instruments as a way to work on developing reciprocal play skills or, or using vocal exercises as a way to stimulate speech sounds or, you know, using toys and animals and books as a way to have that back and forth. With the women that I work with, it's often about using music, so either recorded music or music that we create ourselves with instruments as a way to explore emotions, as a way to come back into their bodies. They're often very much caught up in their heads. Anxiety can be a very cognitive process as well as a body-based process. Mm. So it's about using music and using all of the elements of what music is to come back to ground, as I like to say, and to explore different patterns that are that have emerged in their lives. So I take a very relational and depth approach to my work. So it's about them being able to be in relationship with me to have an have a flow of communication, both verbally and nonverbally within the music within the talking, and looking at patterns that are emerging throughout their lives, you know, are they able to have secure attachment with people in their lives is everything just kind of disorganized and all over the place and all of that's gonna I like to say that how you are in music is how you are in the world mm. and that may be an overgeneralization but I think there's a lot of truth to it so somebody who is unable to connect whether that's a child or an adult they might improvise music in a way that doesn't let anyone else in that there's there's just like constant movement constant playing constant sound they're not really listening. They're not really hearing. It's like if you're someone is just talking at you rather than having a conversation with you. So noticing how people naturally are in music, and that's a very broad term, and I can explain that, informs what we end up doing. So I don't take a really prescriptive approach to the work as in, oh, this child has autism, this woman has anxiety, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And I believe that it's a really collaborative process of potentially like trying something and seeing if it works. And I have, you know, basic tenets and things that I believe and thing, you know, things that inform my approach, but overall about being really open and that it is this client centered process and that I, as a therapist, am very important in that process. So it's not about me doing things at them or to them with music. Wow. I must say. <laughs> Out of everything you just said, there were so many little moments where my brain was like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, it's... I could have I paused somewhere <laughs> <there>. <laughs> No, it was great. But, you know, as I 
as you know, I don't really know much about music therapy, and that's why I find this so fascinating. But when you talked about prenatal, mm-hmm. you know, NICU, hospice, during birth, you know, all the different points that you mentioned that, that music therapy could be used, I just thought, oh, yeah, I could see that. Oh, yeah, I mm-hmm. can see how that could be. Oh, but I think one of the things that struck me the most out of what you said was how music helps you get out of your head and into your body more. Yeah. And, and being more grounded, but also there's just such a powerful nonverbal emotional experience that sometimes we just cannot verbalize and it has to be expressed in some other way. Absolutely. So I just think that's really fascinating. And then I'm also struck by how vulnerable it could be to someone to create music together with someone else, unless, you know, they're a professional musician or something, you know, or even sometimes especially vulnerable if they are a professional musician, (laughs) just to throw that in there. Yeah. So say more about that. Absolutely. Um, It can be an incredibly vulnerable thing to create music with someone. And though I, I consider myself a very, you know, warm and open and, you know, very grounded therapist, it's nerve wracking. And having been on the, you know, the other side of the couch, so to speak, I know that. And, and so that's where the collaborative process comes in about me saying like, you know, this is a process. Oftentimes the women that I work with, they come to me because either because, I mean, often because of the anxiety, but what draws them to music therapy rather than, than uh, talk therapy is often the creative aspect. Either they consider themselves very creative, and so this kind of speaks to that part of them, or they consider themselves not at all creative and they want to be, or that they used to be. Mm. So, I, so I work with a lot of women who are like, oh yeah, I used to paint, I used to draw, I haven't done it in years. But there's something in them that, that wants that, you know, and I believe that in general, adults just don't play enough, you know, like when you see a child, by and large, when children are playing, they're spontaneous, they're flexible, they're imaginative, they're just having so much fun. And it doesn't matter if the, you know, the blocks fall down, or the princess gets lost, or it's all kind of grist for the mill, right? And that's, that's the power of play therapy with kids is that it's all in there and they're just so imaginative. And so I think a big part of the work that I do with adults is helping them kind of rekindle that part of themselves. The part that doesn't just have to think in words, the part that doesn't just have to like respond and react, respond and react. Because music can be such a deep inner experience, it it can give an adult kind of a, a window to their inner world and that that was that phrase was said to me a couple of weeks ago, and it's really stuck with me that a big part of the work that I do is helping people get in touch with their inner worlds. And our inner worlds are made up of dreams and images and sounds and stories. They're not they're not just verbal language, or at least they they weren't when we were kids, you know. So it while it can be, I kind of got off track there a little bit, but while it can be incredibly vulnerable to play music with someone, it can also be incredibly powerful. And I do take pains to titrate the experience for people. So it's not like the first time someone comes in, I'm like, okay, let's 
grab all the instruments and improvise for 45 <laughs> minutes straight and go. Um, Make I a know, song. Do it. Right. Do it now. Uh, I mean, that would overwhelm me. And I've yeah. been doing this for a long time. So it is about going slowly. And, you know, the first time I meet with someone, it might be like, hey, do you have a favorite song you feel comfortable sharing with me? Let's let's hook it up to the the speakers and just listen together and just I'm, I'm curious about their relationship to music or lack thereof, right? Because a relationship to music in a broader sense is a relationship, again, to the inner world, to play, to emotion, right? Music in so many ways is emotion. And so if they have a relationship with that, great. Let's l- let me in a little, like what's going on there. And if they don't, like why? I'm just curious. So in a first session, it may be listening to a song together. It may be um, doing a little bit of music and mindfulness, very simple, like with an ocean drum and a, a set of chimes kind of thing, talking them through, just noticing body and breath, stuff like that. If they feel comfortable, I might invite them to just, you know, kind of peruse the room and let their fingers guide them towards an instrument is a phrase that I like to say. And it kind of helps turn off the, the cognitive part a little bit in our brains. And so I might invite them to just pick an instrument that you like the sound of. Don't overanalyze it too much. And we might just, just to see if it feels like a good fit, we might just explore playing just a little bit. Some people are gung-ho to jump into that. And some people it takes weeks or months and that's totally fine. You're really getting me thinking here. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Or feeling maybe, but, um, Um, also good maybe. <laughs> <laughs> feeling is yeah feeling is good therapist we've all had that moment you wake up in the middle of the night oh my gosh did I do my notes well you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes get them done quickly but thoroughly My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. I'm thinking and feeling that, you know, for me, I'm someone who music is such an intensely important part of my life and always has been. And I don't make music, but, you know, going to a concert to me is is really it's a spiritual experience and i think that's a weird thing to say not at all but it's true <laughs> yeah totally but then like letting someone hear a song that's really meaningful to you mm-hmm. seems like one of the most personal private things you can share in a way you know totally and and again that's you know that's not always where I start with someone and, and I may go months without asking someone, Hey, you know, can you share one of your songs with me? I sometimes if someone is like, I can't think of a song, I might ask them like what emotion they're kind of playing around with or what they're noticing in their body. Is there some sort of sensation or, and then I'll, and then I'll use my own intuition and my knowledge to give them some choices. Mm. 
Like, so for an example, um, sometimes when clients come in, I'll say, why don't we start with a piece of music? You know, just as a way to kind of frame the session. Otherwise, it's really easy to get stuck and like, we're just going to talk endlessly. Um, So with certain clients, I might say like, hey, let's start with a piece of music. Some clients, we've developed a repertoire of, we kind of go through cycles of like, for a month or so, we'll start with this song. And then as stuff shifts, we might shift to another song or but if someone's like, oh, yeah, sure, but they have no, like, clear idea of, like, I need to hear X, Y, and Z, I'll say, well, you know, give me a word or a phrase. Like, what's what's going on? You know, what's – check in with your body. Like, what do you notice? And they might say, oh, there's – and I, I even sighed and dropped my shoulders as I did that, mm-hmm. right? So just just inviting people to, to come back into their bodies. I take a really broad view of music and that we are music essentially. And that sounds a little hokey, but it's true. As human beings, we are rhythmic, we are melodic beings, you know, everything we do, how we move, how we breathe is all rhythm. Mm. So inviting them, and I don't generally talk like that in session, although I do sometimes, (laughs) and inviting, it depends on the client, inviting them to get back in touch with their bodies, with their internal rhythms, and just seeing what they notice. And so I've had clients say like, oh, after I guide them through a minute of that, I really need to hear something slow. I really need to hear something sad. I really need to hear jazz music. I mean, I've heard anything and everything and it's all fine. Um, so sometimes I'll then, based on what information that they're able to give me or just what I'm noticing, right? What I'm observing um, non-verbally, I'll give them some choices of recorded music. So I might say, okay, I'm going to play like a minute of each of these three pieces, just see if any of them resonate with you. And if none of them do, that's fine. And then we kind of keep exploring. Does that kind of help answer that, that kind of musing about how the recorded music comes in? Yeah. And again, I've got this little process going on. I'm like, I want Mm -hmm. music therapy. Like, (laughs) I can't wait. I've got to try this. Like, that's what's going, that's what's going through my head. When you said jazz music, I'm like, yeah, jazz. Oh yeah. That's right. (laughs) So it's funny. It's just funny. All these responses that are coming up for me um, as as we talk, because I had I wanted to learn about this, but I really didn't understand it. And it seems like almost some of it is like so self-explanatory, but didn't at all, you know, wasn't clear to me until we started talking. So I'm really grateful that you're explaining this, because I think certainly other people who will be listening to this will be saying, oh, wow, this is this is what I want. And, you know, and I can even think of people I know who feel really uncomfortable with talk therapy because they feel Mm -hmm. like the other person doesn't understand them or will judge them. And having ways to express outside of talk are really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's interesting because I do, I often get the question, well, do you talk to your clients? I said, I talk to them all the time. You know, I'm just as comfortable in words as I am in music. And with adults, there's often this beautiful, like, back and forth between words and music. We may have a session where there's no music at all. That's totally fine. We may have a session where there's very little talking. And so it's just, it becomes this this really fluid process. And what I really, one of the things I love about it is that there's so many different ways to experience music. You know, it's not always about being active and and making music, playing music, doing things, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's about like, can someone receive, can they come in? I've had people come in and they've just had 
the worst day or, or something, you know, really traumatic happened. And what is it like for them to ask me to play for them? What is it like for them to like receive that comfort? For some people, it's totally uncomfortable. And then there's, you know, then there's something for us to kind of look at and be curious about. Some people just totally soften into it. And are like, yes, I, I can be receptive. I can accept, you know, what you're offering to me. It's a lot of reparative work often. Um, I tend to work with a lot of women who have in many shapes and, and forms, um, some sort of developmental trauma, um, mm. disrupted attachment, stuff like that. And so there is a, a fair amount of, of reparenting work, um, that I'm providing for them or that they over time learn how to provide for themselves. Beautiful. That's, that's mostly the work I'm doing too. So I can totally see how that would be. That brings me to what seems like a logical next question for therapists who are listening to this and maybe thinking, oh, I'm going to try that with my clients. What what do therapists need to know about music therapy and about kind of like the scope, scope of practice? Absolutely. It's a great question. So I always like to say that that music therapists don't own music and many people have have such a strong relationship to music. And so if you're a therapist listening to this, I encourage you to bring music into your into your work within the scope of your own practice. Um, so music therapists do have a very clear scope of practice and a lot of training in order, just for an example, in order to become a board certified music therapist, you need to have a degree in music therapy you need to do a 1,200-hour clinical internship and then pass a national board exam. So it's a lot that goes into it. But that being said, and then my licensure as a New York State licensed creative arts therapist is a separate thing, uh, master's degree, again, a lot more supervision, a lot more hours and all that stuff. But that being said, I, I think there's a lot that therapists of any kind can take from music. Um, For an example, I recently did a presentation about mindful music listening with adolescents Mm -hmm. at a conference in New York City. And it was a conference for, it was called the Expressive Therapy Summit, but it attracted people from all different fields, um, social workers, psychologists, all different kinds of creative arts therapists, students, educators. It was awesome. I really love this conference. And one of the things that we talked about was you know, very much working within the scope of, of one's practice, right? For an example, for social workers in New York State, the scope of practice talks about using verbal methods so that it would be technically beyond the scope of, of practice to to improvise music with someone. Particularly, and I think beyond just being aware of your scope, to be aware of your own capabilities. You know, if, if someone you know, does uses some vocal psychotherapy techniques with me and goes deep into, you know, un, un kind of charted territories in terms of trauma or, you know, subconscious material, I have the training to deal with that, both within the music and out of the music. But music has a lot of power kind of both for good and for not, it can kick up a lot of stuff, stuff being a lot. <laughs> I mean, I use the word stuff to describe just everything that we carry as people. Getting back to the the conference, I did this awesome presentation with this really eclectic group of therapists. And one of the things that we were talking about was that music listening, I think, is the most accessible, accessible thing for people to integrate. 
And not only as a tool to like be curious about what music is important to your clients as a way to build rapport, as a way to just get curious about them, but, and that in and of itself is a huge thing, right? Like if you have a resistant teenager who Mm -hmm. refuses to talk about anything that's going on with their parents' divorce and you ask them to bring in their music and all of a sudden they're talking to you about like the artists that they like and did you see this video and that video, all of a sudden you're in. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and you can start to see, and part of this workshop I led was talking about, we used the song Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, and we had all these different, like, mindful, creative, I guided them through all these different mindful and creative listening experiences of that song, which is lyrically and musically quite a complex song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and talking about, like, what, what, came up even for for the professionals in the room right like what they noticed from their own experience and what that might mean and then consequently like what it might mean for their clients to listen to music with them like in terms of creating bonds and also in terms of like what music are they gravitating towards what can you understand about their own inner experiences based on and not over generalizing like you know rap music is bad that kind of stuff but if they are gravitating towards rap music, what might that say about their inner experience um, based on how the music sounds, based on the words, based on the energy? Um, so I think music listening is a great place to start. I think also there's a lot of power for, for therapists in using music listening as a way to process clients. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a therapist and you've ever just had, you know, we've all had this, one of those clients that walks out of your office and you're like, okay, that was interesting or okay, that was really frustrating or, or whatever. Intense in some way. Intense or or I'm drained or, you know, what might it be like to like go to your, your phone and open your Spotify and just tapping into your own intuition and like picking a piece of music that reminds you of that client. You don't have to know why. Hmm. And just seeing what comes up, right. A little bit of that, that reflection, you know, kind of quote unquote self self-supervision that we all need to be able to engage in right on an ongoing basis and see what comes up, right? Like maybe that client reminds you of like this really sad symphonic piece and maybe they were smiling the whole time and that's weird. Why would they remind you of that sad symphonic piece or whatever? I'm just yeah making this up off the cuff, but I think tapping into music listening, which I know a lot of people and a lot of therapists do for themselves can also be a tool for a little like professional self-reflection as well as a way to just tap into to mindfulness, right? I often work with people who are like, I can't meditate. I don't know how to meditate. Meditating doesn't work for me. Both, I, I should say both clients and also supervisees. So other therapists that I supervise. And we do a lot, I do a lot of work with people around using music listening as a way to tap into mindfulness. You know, and this is nothing new under the sun, but that mindfulness doesn't have to mean, you know, sitting quietly for 20 minutes in silence. Um, Mindfulness can mean just listening to a song and not doing anything else and noticing, you know, the lyrics, noticing the shape of the music, the sound of the different instruments, just really being in that moment with the music. I like to say being open to what the music is offering to you. That's kind of one of my quote unquote catchphrases, I guess. Um, so that's also a really good way that therapists can tap into the power of music, both for themselves and for clients. Wow. That's just, I mean, again, my brain is working overtime right now, (laughs) thinking about so many things and, 
and just so many experiences with music. And I use expressive arts techniques with trauma, as I mentioned to you before we started recording. And Mm -hmm. we learned to use music that didn't have words playing in the background to help the person with the processing that they're doing when they're doing the expressive arts activity. Mm. And, you know, just, I mean, all the thoughts about the music that I bring into sessions and even what's in the waiting room and sure, sure, what soothes me after a long day or, oh, there's so much. So one <laughs> thing, <laughs> one thing that you did mention is when you and I were talking before we started recording is that music can be used for self-care. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you music- did, but maybe a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. Music is for me, a big part of my, my self-care practice. And also, and I'll, I'll be really transparent that even as a music therapist, when music kind of slips away from being part of my self-care practice, that's always, that always is a, a moment to pause and say like, hmm, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so if music kind of waxes and wanes from a self-care practice, it's, it can be good information. Different ways to use music, self-care, the mindful music listening is a really big thing. Um, it's something that I've written a lot about. I, I present a lot about. There's so much there. There's really, really so much there in terms of even, you know, as, as an act of self-care, but also um, self, self-empathy, if that is a mm. phrase, to, you know, pause and say, like, what is it that I need right now? You know, often we're really good at figuring out, kind of teasing out what other people need, whether it's clients, friends, parents, you know, uh, spouses, but we're not, it's harder to turn it back the other way, right? Like, what do I need right now? Not what, what, not what do I feel like I should do or what I should need, but what do I actually need, you know, with as little judgment as possible. And so, and also, so turning that question towards music, like, what is it that I need right now? What kind of music do I need? You'd be surprised how often the answer is not what you thought it should be. Um, Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So take that and work on that now. But, you know, we have a lot of preconceived notions of how music should fit into our lives often. And so I'll have clients come in and say, well, music's not working for me right now. Like, you know, someone told me to listen to um, peaceful piano on Spotify and it's not calming my anxiety. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so that's a really things like that. And so just notice if you and you, I say as in general sense, have, have ideas of, you know, when I feel like this, I should listen to this. When I feel like this, I should listen to that, whatever. Like we have these kind of preconceived notions, mm. whether they're from society or from past experiences or whatever. Um, and to just be really curious about like, what do I need right now for music? And I'll tell you, like, sometimes when I'm anxious in one, one particular time, this was last summer, I believe I was, I was really anxious. I don't remember why. And I was driving and I was on a phone call and that's what made me anxious. And I hung up and I turned on the radio. I was like, I need music. I need music. And I was just like surfing through stations and nothing was quite feeling right. And I went to the classical station, which I love. And it was not helping mm. at all. And the next station that I got to was playing uh, Sia's song, Cheap Thrills, mm-hmm. and which is generally not like, quote unquote, my type of music. It's, you know, for anyone who doesn't know it, it's it's a pop song. It's I hate to say that in like a derogatory way, but 
but it is a pop song. It was very popular for a while last year. And, and all of a sudden I noticed that like, I turned it up. I turned the bass up. Um, I was like kind of drumming on the steering wheel mm. and I just, I spontaneously like was able to really lean into that. And that was what I needed at that moment. Um, so my intuition, like I was able, thankfully to let my intuition kind of drive at that moment. And that, whether it was, I think in hindsight, like thinking about it, it's got a very strong bass to it. That song. Yeah. Kind of a driving almost bass to it and kind of a cool, like middle Easterny rhythmic pattern. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I like so that, that song. So yeah. yeah. I do too now. Like now it's actually one of my go-tos and like, I never would have thought like I need to listen to Chief Thrill. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know that that would have floated into my subconscious, my, you know, my mind. But at that moment, like that was what I needed. It totally soothed my anxiety, brought me back into my body. Like I could feel the bass. I had it really, really high up. I could feel, <laughs> I could feel the bass. Um, you know, I had new speakers in the car and I was like, this is awesome. And I could feel it. And all of a sudden I was back in my body. I was out of my head. I was breathing fully again, like the breath kind of scooped all the way down to that sweet spot, as I like to call it. Um, you know, so less of that like shallow top of the chest breathing and just all the way down, big diaphragmatic mm. breaths. And so sorry for the little bit of attention, but I think I like to tell that story because I think it's a really pretty good example of how what we think we need or we should need from music is not always what we actually need. And so I think that's a huge thing just for self-care practices in general, right? Like sometimes the answer is not, I should go to yoga class, but it is, I should go home and sit on the couch and breathe or, and that may or may not be an example from my own life, but yeah, <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, like, I know what you mean when it's like, yeah. I should be going to yoga and you're like, I but, want to get in bed. That's what yeah. I want. And is there anything wrong yeah. with that? <laughs> so I think that there's a lot to delve into with music listening as far as music for self-care. The other area that I um, also do a lot of, of writing and, and speaking about is using the breath. And so, and a lot of people, this is nothing new under the sun. A lot of people are really into this um, and thinking about the breath in a musical way. Like I said before, our breath is really rhythmic and the way that it comes in and out right? Kind of leaning into the rhythm of like, you don't have to take your next inhale, your body will remember that, um, that your body will just spontaneously do that. And then also leaning into a little bit of like having a sound on the exhale. Yeah. And using so really tapping into using the breath as a form of musical self care. So remembering that the breath, like I was saying before, the breath is a very rhythmic process, right? Comes in, goes out, comes in, goes out. And making that maybe a little musical, if that feels comfortable, again, not for sounding like Adele or anything, but just releasing tension. So on an, on an exhale, you can have a sigh <sighs> or you can have a hum or a, any sound, really. So toning, if people aren't familiar with toning, toning is doing vowel sounds on a just a steady note. So if you ever go to yoga class, it's like the ohm that you might do at the end. Mm -hmm. And different vowel sounds are related to different tonal centers in the body. So that's something that I'll do a lot for my own musical self care, I'll do it sometimes with clients, you know, if they talk about they having tension in their chest, um, and we might tone for a while on an ah, which is a really open kind of broad sound and bringing a little like vibration and movement into a tight area. 
can sometimes really shift something. I've had clients do toning and have like images as their toning. Mm. Um, or, you know, and then we'll work with those images, right? Like what colors, what images. And oftentimes it's something that's really comforting and really something to grab onto when they're in the midst of like, you know, kind of chaos. Um, so using the breath and using the voice, even in those really simple ways can be really powerful for self-care. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. So is that something that people can do on their own too? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just so simple. What I love about toning is that you don't need anything but you, (laughs) um, you know, you don't even need your phone or earbuds or anything. So I like to do it when I'm driving because I'm usually alone and nobody can hear me anyway. Right. Particularly if you're in traffic or, or at a red light or something, sometimes in the shower or before bed. Actually, when I was in grad school for music therapy, we took a, we had a whole two semesters of uh, vocal techniques classes. And this was kind of the beginning part of it. We had to keep a toning journal for two weeks. We had to tone, I forget how many times a day in all different situations. So standing up, lying down, sitting in the shower and keep a journal about what we noticed physically, emotionally, mentally, um, it was really interesting. And so it's a really good way to just kind of check in, you know, like the, the ah sound that you do in the morning may feel totally different than the ah sound that you do at the end of the day. It may vibrate in different places or not. It may be fuller or not. So it's a really good touchstone, you know, and it, it is really simple. And it's not about how long the sound lasts or how loud it is. It's just about releasing and noticing. Wow, that's really cool. And... I appreciate you explaining that. I think one of the things that's coming clear for me is that, you know, getting in touch with like what your intuition tells you and what your inner self wants instead of the thinking, like you said, you know, I know we already talked about getting into the body, but that makes it really like solid to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's such an ongoing process. You know, it's for some people, it's easier to lean into their intuition than others. And for some people, it's it's an ongoing process of like, what do I really want? What do I need? And for a variety of reasons, you know, I mean, a lot of the women I work with have spent years putting others' needs ahead of their own. And so it can be a really powerful, powerful experience to over time, you know, come back into this, this powerful sense of yourself as, as being able to, to do for yourself in addition to doing for others. Yeah, that's so important. Well, Maya, I wish we had more time because this has been a fascinating conversation. And I'm so grateful to you for just being so open to explaining about your work. Thank you so much, Laura. It was really a pleasure. So where can people find you and what you're doing if they want to get in touch for either scheduling therapy appointments or for supervision or consultation workshops? Yes, I can be found on my website. Well, not me, but you can find my information <laughs> on my website, which is www.maya, M-A-Y-A, Benatar, B-E-N-A-T-T-A-R.com. And so there's all of my contact info is on there, as well as a lot of informative blog posts and information about therapy sessions, supervision, consultation, and workshops. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And I will be sure to put a link to your website in the show notes so that people can 
you know, in case they're driving while they're listening, they can, they can click right on it from there. But didn't you mention to me before that you had some kind of a special gift if people sign up for your newsletter? Oh, right. Thank you for reminding me. So I do, um, I give, I send to people if they sign up a free guided relaxation audio track, that's Mm -hmm. just my voice talking you through um, some mindfulness guided relaxation. And you can find that also on my website um, at the bottom of the homepage or the direct link to that is www.mayabenatar.com slash guided dash relaxation. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Thank you again, Maya, for being on Therapy Chat today. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Maya Benatar. I hope you found it as interesting as I did to learn more about how she uses music therapy. And stay tuned for a future episode, which includes an interview with a drama therapist I also thought was very interesting. As always, I appreciate you listening to Therapy Chat. Please visit your favorite podcast platform to leave a rating and review and subscribe. Therapy Chat will be two years old in mid-August 2017, and I'm so grateful for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.